Welcome to the Dwellness Podcast. I'm Ruth Steinmetz. And I'm Brian Steinmetz. Join us on our journey to discover the connections between physical and mental well-being and our dwellings. Today, we have with us in the studio once again, Mrs. Troy Bachman is back. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. Unfortunately, yeah. my lovely bride is not with us today. I miss you, Ray. She's, yes, we miss her very much. Uh, but she was, Troy was kind enough to bring her some uh, blue lotus chai so that she feels it's better. It's yummy. Yeah. A little chai warms the heart. If you, if you mm-hmm. saw one of our previous episodes uh, with her mom, her, the way she finds her dwellness, or the thing I think that makes her feel that improves her day is just like a cup of tea. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. So very good. Um, so Troy, welcome back for round two. Thank we you. did not get a chance to speak about all the housing issues that exist in this world. I don't think we'll ever be able to cover no, them comprehensively, no. but and we it, can try. And it keeps moving too. Mm-hmm. It's it's always it always keeps getting worse, it seems. Mm-hmm. Um so we'll talk about uh, how the market has shifted. We'll talk about the inequality that exists. Uh, but first, I have a lovely quote from, well, I'm going to let you guess who it's from. Ooh, fun. Yeah, this will be fun. Uh, it, the quote goes like this. I will forever believe that buying a home is a great investment. Why? Because you can't live in a stock certificate. You can't live in a mutual fund. Mm. Who said that? Donald J. Trump. No. <laughs> Ronald Reagan? You're very wrong on both fronts. (laughs) It was not a white man. It was not a white man. Okay. I I, can I have another can I have a clue? Uh this person was on TV for a long time. Trevor Noah? No. Oh. Then I have no idea. Oprah Winfrey. Oh. Yeah. 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 Since we're gonna be talking about how um people are disenfranchised in the buying process and how Black women in the United States are historically one of the greater disenfranchised mm-hmm. groups. I thought it was appropriate that we quote Oprah Winfrey today. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Um, and she's not wrong. You can't live in a wrong. stock certificate or a no, mutual fund. No, you can't. The yeah. issue is finding a house to be in. This is the issue. So yeah. she doesn't have that issue because she still has a crazy she, amount of money. She has like $3 billion. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and she's got name recognition, which is yeah. key. Um, but so assuming you're not a billionaire, how does one find a house? So, I mean, I'm in the field all the time yeah. doing this, but, uh, f- for real though, like, like if you're thinking about buying a home and you want to get in there and you realize how competitive the market is, what might be some advice or what would you do for yourself? Sure. Excuse me. Um, I think... One of the very first things that you should do is meet with a mortgage lender. There you go. Yep. To That's figure the right thing out. To say. Oh, yes, I passed. <laughs> um, to figure out what you can afford, mm. if anything. Yeah. Um, and to figure out if you know that particular lender has a special mortgage product that mm. would work for you, mm. um, or if they might recommend working with someone else. Like I know, locally, there's a bank that's waiving closing costs, which I don't waiving. Well, yes. Like rolling them into the so, loan? No. Yes and no. Okay. So. What is this bank, first of all? It's Community Bank. Okay. And I don't know all the details of the product, but um, essentially banks, like any other service provider, charge usage fees for things. Uh-huh. Um, so like application fees and this, that, and the other. Um, and so supposedly they are removing those fees, which does reduce the overall cost. Um, I don't know the whole story. I, I feel like they must because since they when have do to banks, roll them in, right? Since when do banks not take a profit? Right. Yeah. So they must roll Which them like, in. okay, capitalism, go off, get your bag. But yeah. <laughs> that does make it harder. So <laughs> it's the world in which we live. Yes. So first step would be to meet with a lender. And um, or somehow have a pile of money. And uh, yes, and your lender will probably say to you, "You need a pile of money." So yeah. step two would be to start a Secure. GoFundMe yeah. and get people to Cash donate. Your 401k. <laughs> Sell your firstborn child. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm leg works too yes. if you're too attached yes. to your firstborn. Um, and then the lender might also recommend that you meet with a real licensed real estate agent. I know a good one. 
I do too. Yeah. Um, and that person may or may not be a trademark realtor, which we discussed last time I was here, that not all realtors, all real realtors are, are real estate agents, but not all real estate agents are realtors. Indeed. It, it costs money to be a realtor. Yes, it does. I just saw my bill came through. I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. That time of year again. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, but it is beneficial to be a realtor, but that's, I feel like that's a different episode. Sure. Sure. Uh, the main thing that consumers need to be aware of is that realtors have a strict code of ethics. Yes. Uh, one of which I feel like hasn't been being lived up to as of late, uh, which is what's known in the industry as buying the listing. Mm, tell me more. Uh, well, there's, I think it's like the third or fourth bullet point in the code of ethics. And it says that you can't misrepresent the price to mm -hmm. the seller um, to, in order to secure the listing. Hmm. And, and I feel like a lot of people, especially like uh, flat fee or, or or adjustable rate places are just kind of like, how much do you want to make? And they're like, this much. And they're like, okay, I'll list it for that. Yeah. Instead and of telling them like, this is what the market is saying, what your house is actually worth. And I sort of going back to what a consumer would need to know mm -hmm. as they enter in this process, I always, always, like I've worked with realtors for almost six years now and I always tell um, my friends who enter into the home buying process that you need to interview multiple realtors. Yeah. Don't just assume that the first one that you pick up the phone and talk to is going to be the one. Um, yeah, cause you got to find a good match. I've had a stat on that. That's like 70% of people go with the first person. Mm -hmm. The first I mean, that they meet. When I bought my first house many years ago, back in 2016, mm -hmm. I, this was before I worked with realtors. Literally the first person I answered, sweet woman. She was wonderful. Um, and that's who I went with. I had no concept of like, yeah. there are different firms you can go with. You, there are different people within that firm that might be a better fit. And yeah. this is especially with what it's like to buy a house now. Like you could potentially be saddled with that person for years. Yeah. <laughs> so this is true. Yeah. I, and I've worked with clients for years. Yeah. Some of them, uh, others and you have would not hope been that a good they match. come back to you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Well, again, something, another statistic I know, and I'm not going to get the numbers right because I just, I'm going to misremember. I can, I can sense it, but something like 90% of people say that they would w work with the same agent again. Oh, and then they don't. And then like 12% actually do. Yeah. That's not surprising to me. I, I feel like it's a lot to do with the follow-up from the agent too. Well, and it's hard to break up with someone. True. You know, like, um, yeah, just nobody wants to have the like. The, the, this was okay, but I want something different. That's yeah. just like an uncomfortable but, conversation. But then they to do, have. do it, I, and I think it's just a matter of like ghosting. Yeah, you know. Well, right. I mean, it's it's they a different type the of conversation. <laughs> they just are like, okay, I'm going to sell my house, and then they call they call the first else. person that picks up the phone again. Right. You know. Okay. Yeah, I think. That, yeah. Anyway. So um, before we get much deeper, I'm going to back it up real quick and remind everybody how you find your dwellness. Yes. Which is through crazy art and and having a unique home. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I brought you a gift. Oh, it's okay. It's I'm okay. nervous. I have had this on my wall for a long time. Oh my it was... god, you took it off your wall? No, I, we're redecorating. Oh. That's okay. Uh, and uh, it is something to do with. <laughs> <laughs> it's I love wonderful. that. Yeah, you I can frame that. it. I've had it in a frame before. I and think it's quite lovely. Yeah, I'm into that, Mr. Vader. Yeah. <laughs> So here you go. I Thank hope, you. I hope someday Should when I we wear have, it for the rest of the I cleaned the it before, or rather Ruth did, <laughs> before I brought it over. You I'm can see there's some smudges on it and stuff. I've our, had it for years. He'll be our co-host for now. Yeah, I have pictures of my daughter in it and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, I, I, I was just going to say, I'm going to bring this home and my husband's going to be like, <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, uh, I that hope is, that you have I some joy that. when you see Thank that you. on your wall. Yeah. Excellent. I appreciate that. Uh, I was going to try and find something from Star Trek, but I'm much less it's, of a Trekkie. It's hard and also to do. They, unless you've got a uh, wharf mask. I mean, what are you going to do? Well, I have one of my, uh, one of the gifts that my husband gave me early in our relationship was a still in the original packaging counselor Deanna Troy action figure. Excellent. So we have that somewhere in the house. <laughs> I have no idea where it is, <laughs> but I haven't gotten rid of it. Um, awesome. So. Well, yeah. terrific. I hope you enjoy it. And I'm sure I do. Thank you. Ruth will enjoy her tea. Thank you for being so thoughtful as well. Um, so beyond dwellness, in order to, well, let's, let's say this. In order to have dwellness, you have to have a, a place dwelling. to stay, mm -hmm. right? And even if it's a cardboard box under a bridge, one would hope that 
you don't have a mortgage on it, first of all. And secondly... In this economy, though, you know, you know, I was talking to our, our last guest was saying that um, and I'm not sure if this made it on the air or not. This may have been after we ended, but she lives in a tiny home in mm. North Carolina mm-hmm. and they're going for like over six figures. Now. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. I was just looking at um, it's like 300 square feet. Yeah. I was just looking at a listing for a trailer. Mm. I think I know the one you're talking about. Um, that was Build as a manufactured ranch home. Um, yeah, that's we all know what that is. <laughs> and I'm and it was six figures. And I just the difference there is that at least me. it was on owned land. Yes, that in, is true. In this, in Denitra, our last guest's situation, it was in it a, was in like a park. Mm. So you leased the land and you paid one hundred and twenty thousand yeah. dollars for it. And this is in one of the more affordable states. Affordable. Well, sure. But as we mentioned last time, what part of North Carolina? I'm not 100 percent sure. Okay. I've never met. You know, that's person. my home state. So. Oh yeah, yeah, that is true. Um, so yeah, I mean, even in the South, in in I think the poorest state in the country is Mississippi. Mm. There's nothing affordable. Well, this is actually I got into a conversation. I was at a conference in August in Chicago, where the National Association is based, mm. um, National Association of Realtors, and I got into a conversation with a gentlemen, we were talking about the American dream. Um, and I can't remember if we talked about this episode one, but, um, he said like, Oh yeah, like the American dream is alive and well, like you can do whatever you want. You can buy whatever you want, blah, 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 blah. If you have money. Um, and I was like, well, I was kind of pushing back on that. And Mm -hmm. I was saying like, if I wanted to buy a house where I'm currently living, I couldn't like, I don't, we don't have the funds or the resources uh, to do so. And he said, well, then you should just move. Um, so there's, is that really the American dream? (laughs) Right. So there's a thought, there's this idea that like, we are in a land of opportunity, but I think as you are pointing out, even in these areas that are considered more affordable, there's there, it's just a different scale. Like the thing that you have to remember is that we would hope that areas that are more expensive to live in wages are a little higher. And yeah, then, commensurate with the... Yeah, yeah. Um, which is not always the case, but then I, c- I could go buy a house in my hometown in Winston-Salem, in Trinity, North Carolina right now. Like, I could buy a house, but my but job is here. Relocate. <laughs> I can't yeah. relocate. And there are costs associated with relocating. You know, yeah, like that's it's a hell not of a commute, free. Too. Yeah, right. It's not free to move. No, like, definitely not. It's, it's not free to move. It's so, more expensive than it ever has been, actually. Yeah. Um, so... So really, is is homeownership just the dream of the elite at this point? No, I mean I think that it def like it is important in the sense that it is one of the only ways to build tangible generational wealth. True. In this country, yeah. like it is one of the only ways to do that because you can deed your home, you know, you can pass that home on to your mm-hmm. children. They may not want it because they might not be living in that area anymore, but then they can sell it and get the benefits. I see that a lot, yeah. Um, but I think in terms of ease of attainability, sure. Like if you, um, I was looking at some research from the National Association. Um, of realtors. Of realtors. That sh- when it was disaggregated down, said that like the only generation that doesn't worry about competing with cash offers is, would you like to guess? Boomers. Yeah. yeah. Because they are the ones making the cash offers. Like they have the assets. Well, so Yeah. Yeah. And it's it again, I don't want to talk badly about any particular generation. I don't want to be ageist or anything like sure. that. Um, but in my experience, there's not much empathy. Well, and it's just I think across generations, it is hard to see. Um, it's hard to see how past your own like experience, right? So, right, yeah. people who already own a home probably care. Le- and actually, our association did a poll of registered voters in Franklin County, um, and we have some a little bit of data, not a great amount, but a little bit of data that shows that like if you already own a home, you don't really it's hard to get excited or engaged with reform Mm. because you've already like you're in, you're in the system, you're good. Um, But alternatively people who 
need to move for work or they need to upsize for their family or downsize, um, it's easier to see whenever it is an immediate problem. Mm -hmm. And for a, a lot of people in this country who are older, it's not an immediate problem. And I'm so happy for them, but I'm sad for me. <laughs> I'm sad for uh, our children yeah. as well because it's not going on a great trajectory. Although I feel like since so much of the housing wealth, we'll call it, is owned by the one particular generation, the boomers, and they do own quite a bit. Mm -hmm. I don't know statistically how much it is, but they... They've, they've got theirs. Sure. Uh, and they don't seem to want to move. Uh, but well, they don't have anywhere to move to. There, there's that problem, too. Um, there's not many retirement homes, and those that exist are trash. Right. Um, but once they start to die off, I think we're going to see kind of a reverse of what we've been seeing, which is inventory is going to spike and home values are going to go down. Maybe. I mean, But I also think that they're going to leave a lot of it to their kids. Right. So and again, finally in their sixties going to be able to own a home. Right. It's a generational wealth vehicle, yeah. um, which again is good, but then it raises a lot of questions about equity. Um, so, yeah, I want to uh, dig into um, our main topic today, which mm -hmm. is going to be um, uh, uh, race inequality in homeownership. I believe you brought some statistics for us. I shared an article with you, I think last week, mm -hmm. Um, where there was a study, uh, and I think we touched on this on the last one as well, but I just wanted to get in, into it a little bit deeper. Odd, of course, that there's just two white people sitting here. But as Ruth told us last time, it's good that we are talking about it because we need to be doing the work. This is true. Thank you for reminding me of that, yeah. We're the ones that created this system. Right. Uh, not us, but our... our Forebears. Again, the, the generations before us. Yeah. Um, and they have really reaped the benefits of it, but now... Um, the the hard truth is that um, um, if you're you, you know the there are laws against redlining mm -hmm. which is like being like okay you have to live in this red box on the map um, and blockbusting is something similar too which is when people come in and they're like oh they're, the the expression there goes the neighborhood when like a, a minority family would move in and then into a neighborhood and then everyone would leave. Um, and it would become like a, a whatever neighborhood, the mm -hmm. Martian neighborhood, we'll say. Um, or the agents would say, okay, Martian, you don't get to live here. And they would try and steer them away. Yes. There's also steering is what that's called and so on and so forth. So all of these things have been terrible, obviously. Mm -hmm. And I think that there was recently a case in Long Island where that was still going on. Yeah. So there, um, it, there was a huge expose. I think it was Newsweek. Um, and they released a report um, illuminating the inequities of a certain real estate brokerage and mm -hmm. several other in Long Island. Yeah. Um, it's called Long Island Divided. Um, I see. Yeah, I read that article. Yep. Uh, and then this one was by NAR. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. uh, it was, um, I think it was the appraisal thing, yep. right? Yeah. yeah. So, so a white couple got a house appraised for like 700K and then a black couple got it appraised the same house. Um, and it was like 450K. Yeah. I mean, and it's indicative and reflective of the inequality and inequity plaguing our nation because it was designed that way. Like it's, yeah. you know, and it, we have to actively dismantle it. So how do we do that? I, I talked a lot about like a, a nonviolent revolt in the last one. I got really worked up <laughs> and uh, part of me does kind of want to see heads on sticks going sure. down the street. But I, at the same time, I'm not by nature, a violent man. I don't really want to murder people. I just want there to be... <laughs> I don't really want to murder people. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, I just want there to be a fighting chance for everyone. I think right. that that is really what the American dream is all about. We're an immigrant nation. Uh, any way you cut it, unless you're uh, a Native American, right. you're not a Native American. Right. So, like... You got here some way. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. I'm an eighth-generation Vermonter. I've been here for since the Civil War, but for 400 years before the Civil War, there was, you get my point. Yes, I do get your point. So. And I think that's, you know, the history nerd in me is having a thought here of like. Oh, give it to me. I love that it's kind of like, I think it's part of some of the racial tension in our nation is also because we're like relatively young. Um, not that 
older nations don't have racial tension because even in Southeast Asian countries, there's like tension between various ethnic groups, right? Yeah. But the differences are still so visual. Yeah. Yeah. You can really, um, like uh, when a lot of Americans, like when, when the Japanese and the Chinese hate each other, they're like, why? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Because we're not, we're uneducated, right? Yeah. Well, there's that um, too. But yeah, so like I think a lot of that, that's kind of off topic, but just a thought that popped into my head. Because like yeah. when you think about. Well, there's like the, the, the blatant, you can see the differences. Yeah. Kind of thing. And it's just like it, our infrastructure as a nation is very young. Like a, when yeah. you think of like the European really... nations and African nations, like they're ancient. Forever. They're ancient. They've yeah. been around forever. So they yeah. have different. Not entirely different, but they have different issues, and this is one of ours. Yeah, I think that racism is kind of broad, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, people have always found other people to hate. Yes, it it is not outside of it. It is outside of race, you know, like religion. I mean, if you language, I saw a map of all of the battles that have ever been fought mm. in in throughout like recorded history, um, and the one. Can you guess the continent that has had the most battles fought on it? By like a lot, like to the point where you can't even really see the green in between the red dots. I feel like I should be able to get guess this, but I feel like I'll be wrong, and I hate being wrong. So tell me. I want you to guess. Oh no! Is it Africa? No, it's way not. It's, it's Europe. So not. Yeah, it's Europe. Uh, well, I get. I mean, European land wars. It's European a big thing. land wars, and they're looking at you, all Napoleon. Hell as hell, and the, and yet they all speak different languages. They have yeah. different cultures, etc., and so forth. And um. And they've been killing each other since forever. Sure. Even even within their own cultures. I mean, how many civil wars were fought in Rome? Right. So. How often do you think about the Roman Empire? Have you seen oh, this? All <laughs> the time. Literally every day I think about the Roman Empire. I have loved seeing that trend. I, I have seen that too. Uh, Ruth and I actually need to make a video about that because it's, it's sickening. Like I mm-hmm. think about it far too often. Yeah, my husband said the same thing. I have maps in the house. I have... I have History books that I've read and I re-read. love that for you. Yeah, it's really fun. Um, I love that I don't have to share a toilet with everybody in my community. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, or, or much less. Did you know about this? Just to get way off topic for a sure. second. Speaking of real estate, uh, at least we all have indoor plumbing now. Mm. But um, Well, not all of us. Not all of us. That's a good point. And I wonder how many people would be willing to sacrifice indoor plumbing for an actual house to live in. That's I have considered it. I know, right? Actually. Yeah. Uh, but in ancient Rome, they would have the public baths, right? Mm-hmm. And they would just have a row of, of not really toilets because they didn't flush, but they holes. would just have holes that you would poop in. And they didn't have Beautiful. toilet paper either. So they just had a stick on a sponge, no. or a sponge on a stick, rather. <laughs> and there would be nine of those holes, but only one stick and only one sponge. Thank so, God for penicillin. I know, right? Yeah. I was just thinking about so, that. So Marcus Aurelius is all like, why is the plague going everywhere? <laughs> well, now we know. Yeah. Um, but back to our topic here. Yes. Um, although it's really... So let's 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 actually think about how ancient Rome has influenced America really quickly. Mm, okay. And and why we're still kind of stuck in this I want it and you can't have it mentality. Um, because ancient Rome was extremely patriarchal to the point where like a father could murder his wife and children and it wouldn't be a big deal because they were his property, quote unquote, until they were married off or until the father died and then the son became the head of the household, sometimes at a very young age. Mm. Um <clears throat> But there is always this, like, um, I'm going to have it. I want to be rich. Think of, like, Nero's palace, for example, which took up, like, a third, I think, or a quarter of uh, of the actual land mass in Rome. Mm. It, it, I don't think of the Roman Empire this much. I'm so impressed. Keep I think going. about it a lot. <laughs> uh, and, in fact, after Nero died, who was one of the worst emperors, I'm sure you're mm. aware of that, <clears throat> after he died, they, they tore down his his palace um, which was actually really technologically advanced, but I'll mm. get into that some other time. And they built the Colosseum over mm. like this big oh, lake. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. So that's why we don't see the, his ruins anymore because they were so pissed at him. They said that they just destroyed it, and the next emperor. Talk about dismantling inequity there. Yeah, this is the kind of thing that I'm getting at. Yeah. So, um, 
if you if you look at the way the the American Constitution, which we've talked about before, and the perfect document that it is, hmm. it's really based on the Roman Republic. Yeah, I mean, it has influences from several uh, philosophical thought schools of thought. Okay. Um, but yeah, keep going. Tell me more. Say more. I mean, even if you look at our our public infrastructure, it's very Romanesque with the columns and the, mm -hmm. and, the, and the T's and stuff, and it looks Greek as well. But the interesting thing about the Roman, there's two things I wanted to say. First of all, they had two heads of state in the Republic. Mm -hmm. uh, they were called consuls, and they would be co-consuls, and they would only be able to rule for a year, and then they'd have another election. Um, but the way the early Constitution was set up, all men are created equal, quote unquote, um, is not true. I mean, they absolutely had, not, in, and it never has been true. Yeah, in Roman society, they had the ruling class, which was the patricians, and then they had the the poor class, which were the plebeians, and then they had the slaves underneath that, and it was set up in the same way. All the patricians are created equal. So that they could all run for president and stuff because mm. they happen to be the rich aristocrats that don't want to pay their taxes in the and first place. And own property. And own property. We'll get to that in a minute. And then the rest of us are either black and enslaved or poor and white and probably Irish. But that didn't happen for another hundred and some odd years. Sure. Um, <clears throat> and so what the founders of the Constitution – or the the architects of the Constitution were mostly concerned about was property rights. Mm -hmm. And well, that's, I mean, what is it? The third amendment is you don't have to quarter soldiers. Like you don't have to keep people in your property. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like they wrote a specific, you know, they wrote several specific pieces into the Constitution about property. About property. Ownership. Yeah. yeah. So essentially what they're saying is you're not really a person unless you own property. You're not created equal unless you own property. Or you're not necessarily entitled to participate in, in society. In yeah. yeah, in democracy. Um, so that being said, you know, 200 whatever years later, 240. Anyway, I suck at math. Um, uh, now we have people like Bill Gates, who is the largest property owner in the, in the country. Mm -hmm. He's got like huge swaths of the Midwest mostly farmland, um, which could be developed and house people. Does he have more rights than the average citizen? Mm, that is a good question. I mean, it certainly I mean, he has the ear feels of presidents. Feels like it, sure, right? yeah. And how much of that? He was at that summit with all the, Elon said, all the smartest people in the world talking about AI, the future of AI mm, recently. Right? Um, yeah, I mean, at some point, um, what is the word for when rich people are in charge? Oligarchy. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would think there's a strong argument to be made that our nation is an oligarchy. Yeah, I think um, Bernie a, would definitely agree. Uh, oh, what's ger gerontocracy? Where it's, oh, the old, it's old people in charge. Does that go along with the word geriatric? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, so geriatric landowners are telling all of us what to do. Pretty much. So, but why do we let that happen? We're stronger than them and there's more of us. Yeah. I mean, I think that that goes back to your nonviolent revolution thought, um, which right. I do think, you know, if you've seen, have you been following any of the United Auto Workers oh, yeah. striking and mm -hmm. all that? So I think. And the I the think, WGA as well. Yeah. I think we're like getting to the point where the intersection of like inflation is making buying food the most challenging issue. Yeah. Um, that a lot of families are facing in addition to paying the rent, paying, paying the rent. So like those are two in the hierarchy of needs, like those are two really essential things, food yeah. and shelter. And I think as they as it as that disparity between the haves and haves not increases, mm -hmm. I don't know if it's going to cause a revolution, but maybe it should. Um I think that the haves are, are trying to cause a civil war more than they're trying uh -huh. to. S divide and conquer is a real thing. So if, you, if you're if you able to cause a wedge between mm -hmm. people, their hatred for each other will well, supersede their need for food and shelter. And the more and that we... they'll go in and kill their neighbor to take yeah. their food and shelter more than they'll look to the top. And I think this is, a, this is part of why... 
I don't want to say why we have such a diversity problem because that's not the phrase that I mean, but how many times have you been in a meeting where diversity, equity, and inclusion comes up and somebody in the room goes, why do we have to talk about that? Yeah. And so especially in the housing world, especially in the housing world, focusing on being annoyed that we're talking about this hides the issue, right? Yeah. Like we, we have strong data that says people of color do not own the same amount of property in this country. Um, and what is challenging is letting people come to their own conclusions about whether that, that is moral. Yeah. And I think that is a key issue So there's here. like a PR issue around Right, that. of like, at some point we have to decide, are we all created equal and all do we all deserve to have the same access to things? Or are we more focused on individualism as a nation, which I think we are? I think we are too, yeah. If we were really um, into having everybody be created equal and having a level playing field, you wouldn't be able to pass on your wealth to your children. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And that idea it is really scary. Yeah, that idea is super scary to people because yeah. we have no concept of anything else. And that's not just an American issue. That's also like primogeniture with kings and queens and royalty of, a of yeah. ages past. Like yeah, that's it, just how humanity has been structured. Certainly Western civilization. Yeah. Uh, even, I mean, they, they had, they had, they weren't kings, they had emperors in mm -hmm. ancient China. Um, and, and they would kill each other to become you right. know, the courts and stuff. So, I mean, it's been a global issue yeah. since forever. There's always like one person at the top, it seems, and then everybody else. Right. And everybody else has to feed that one person at the top. And when it comes to housing, the people at the top now are um, making it that much harder for everybody else because it's such like a... A power grab. Yeah. Like housing supply is so low that anytime an investor takes a property offline, everybody else feels it. And yeah. I, I, at my core, I do believe that if you've got the, there is part of me that like really genuinely believes that if you have the resources to buy property, that you should be able to do that. Um, but what I think our, our, do you think there should our be a infra that? Our infrastructure for that, I think, has gotten away from us in a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I think that perhaps setting rules on where the line has to yeah. be drawn. Because yeah. I don't think that BlackRock needs to own half the East Coast. No, definitely not. I don't, they're, they're buying up entire neighborhoods. I don't think to, that. Specifically to and keep people And I think it's bad for renting. the market. I think yeah, it's, it's bad for the market. market. Um, because it's bad for the overall economy, too. Like, while, yes, when you become a landlord, you are still providing a housing unit. But I think it's easy, and we saw this in the news this week, where one of, I don't know all the details, but one of, like, a very notorious property in downtown Burlington, mm -hmm. like, was on the local news because it was so bad because the landlord wasn't taking care of it. And it had a lot of... Yeah. crime and like yeah i i know the property you're talking come about. on like that shouldn't be happening that person shouldn't be allowed to own I, me troy bachman as an individual not you're not representing i'm not right representing now. nvra right now um but as a person who has studied a lot of housing issues like mm -hmm. i don't think that people who aren't taking care of their property like that not for lack of resources because it's not like there the rent are, isn't high enough. that is exactly that is that is one barrier that we do see to homeownership is home maintenance. Like you can, some people might be able to buy a property all day, but they don't have the steady income to to maintain to maintain it. it. And yeah. then when you get into deferred maintenance issues, um, that becomes infinitely, you know, exponentially more expensive. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that like as a society, you know, when we're thinking about like, what do we do about the housing crisis? Um, we have to make a decision about what we're going to allow to continue in terms of investors buying up as much property as possible because it does artificially, the rate that that is occurring 
is outpacing the rate that new housing is being built. So what needs to happen on both sides to make this a more equitable, to give people more equitable access, Yeah. right? Like some regulations about building have to change and regulations about property ownership have to change a little bit too. So locally, let's talk about the city of Burlington really quickly. Mm -hmm. There's half a dozen landlords that own like more than half of the, this, the city. Mm -hmm. Um, should we put a stop to that? And also, I want to talk about the Airbnb laws that recently mm, passed. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on the first question? I think that that issue is so complicated that it's hard to say, like, yes, cut <laughs> off all your rental properties. You can only own four rental properties because... Well, I would, I would argue that it should be higher than four. Sure, right. So that's, that's what I'm saying. But it should it's be like, less than 100, too. For like, sure, for <laughs> sure. Like, I don't... I mean, I think... For me. And where is the sweet spot and how do we find it? Yeah. I mean, I think it, balancing the p people who want to rent, because there will always be people who want to rent. Mm -hmm. In many ways, it is easier to rent. For example, a couple months ago, maintenance. A couple months ago, our dishwasher broke and I'm living in a rental property. And you know what I did? I called my landlord and I said, the dishwasher Give broke. Me a new and you know what he did? He showed up with a new dishwasher. And that was amazing. Yeah. That's it was lovely. amazing. That's lovely. That's um, why I always, just to get back to put my realtor hat on real quick, that's why I suggest people rent their water heaters. So what it you pops, can do that? You can totally do that. It Whoa, costs about I didn't know as that. much as a Netflix subscription every month. Wow. About 20 bucks, 25 bucks. You can rent your water heater. And when it pops, not only do they come and clean up the mess, but they also just Bring replace it. <gasps> wow. And it doesn't cost you hundreds, hundreds of dollars. Yeah. So... Rent your no water idea. heater, folks. Okay, yeah. you heard it here first, folks. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so like, <clears throat> there's always going to be people who want to rent. So we do need properties available to rent. Simultaneously, we do need properties available to buy. In an affordable way. In an affordable way. Yeah. Um, so it's not And the to... rent can't be so high that you can't save up a down payment. Yes, I'm so glad you mentioned that because... The National Association of Realtors oh just, boy. yeah, good Statistics. segue, good, good segue. Right. Um, the National uh, Association of Realtors just published some studies about like what is the main reason why you haven't purchased a home, and we're seeing, yeah, right. I can guess. Well, tell me your guess. Tell me. <laughs> My guess is affordability. Yeah. So um, the rent's too high. I can't save up, and then everything is exponentially more expensive than it was for my parents. Yep. So not enough homes available for purchase in your budget is about made up about 34% of mm -hmm. the responses. Like I, there's nothing for me to buy right now. Um, and I think an important note there too, is like there might be a piece of property available in your budget, like our manufactured ranch that we were talking about. That's in my budget. I could buy it, but that's not the right thing for my family. Like that's yeah. not, that's not the right sized house. So like matching people with the right style be, of house. It's got to be the right square footage, the right features, and the right price. And the right location. Yeah, and the right location. As we discussed, like yeah. I could buy a great house in the middle of nowhere, but, yeah, but then, at what cost yeah, to the I rest mean, of my life? <laughs> yeah, you spend half your life in the car. Yeah. Uh, all your meetings are Zoom meetings, and you're just kind of. You're there's, isolated. There's an expression of like being house rich and cash poor. As well, that that happens to a lot of people. Yeah. So, give me more statistics. More statistics. Another, um, the second highest reason why people had not yet purchased were that they're waiting for mortgage rates to drop. Which I would love to hear your perspective on because um, okay. I, as an individual, have some thoughts about this. But I, I'm always interested to hear what real estate professionals have to say here. It's interesting that you say that because I have an app on my phone that tells me that the cost the of waiting. Time no, the real-time interest rates in Vermont Ooh, let's at hear any it. given time. So right now it's 7.13% APR. Um, yesterday it was 736 mm. And over the weekend, last weekend, it was just under 7 It was like 6.9. So it's going so up So if you down locked in a mortgage rate over the weekend, good yeah, for you. Good for you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but it tends to be hovering around 7% right yeah. now. And I, uh, I stay abreast to what's going on with the Fed the, the Federal Reserve, which is neither federal nor a reserve. Um, but I, I, I pay attention to what they're doing. Um, and the idea that in this economy, I think that the idea that raising interest rates is going to slow inflation is, is archaic. It is not the right thing to do. Mm. 
because what you're really doing is saying, okay, poor people stay poor. Oh yeah. It's expensive to be poor. Yeah. It's, it's very expensive, expensive to be poor. poor. Um, and like, if you look at credit scores, if you've got a bad credit score, you pay more. So that is another reason on the list um, of, of why people haven't purchased at home is because they're balancing credit card debt or they're balancing student loan debt. Student um, loan debt is for real. Yeah. And then again, we see that as a generational issue um, because most older folks don't aren't carrying student loan debt. It costs um, 50 grand a semester now. To go to school, yeah, like it's something ridiculous like that. Like I talked to kids that just graduated, and they're like two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in debt. Yeah, like it's absolutely a, that's a and house. It used that's to be, a house. Yeah, well, half, be, of house. Yeah. <laughs> half of a house. That's half of a house. It used to be, um, it used to be like ten thousand dollars. Right, like you could work a minimum wage job, and while you were going to school, mm-hmm. and graduate, get a job, and buy a house because. All before you're 25. Right. And that just doesn't exist anymore. Does not happen. And then it especially does not happen Unless for somebody people is of paying color. For their, yeah. Unless somebody is paying their tuition and gives them a down payment right. on the house and a job. Right. And so down payment assistance or down payment, like inability to, up to save um, for a down payment um, is on the list. Even if it's, you know, three and a half percent is becoming the new normal. It used right. to be 20%. So many people have it in their heads. Listen to me. You do not need 20%. For a down payment anymore. Tell tell everybody why that is the set number. Twenty percent. Um, I, that's a good question. I'm not sure. I, know. I don't know either. I thought you would know. Oh, I it's don't. okay if we don't. Um, Stay tuned for more. But if you don't have twenty percent, you have to pay private mortgage insurance right. until you get to twenty percent. And, and again, they won't remind you when you hit that number. And again, I think that comes into the concept of like the cost of waiting, where a lot of times people are like. I don't want to pay PMI because I'm going to be spending more money. Well, you're either spending money in rent and you're not building equity for whatever that's worth. Um, Which I, again, like I, there's such power in building that wealth, but it's just inaccessible for a lot of people. And it's hard to conceptualize like I'm making my, this choice for my future when like, you could also be the money, the down, the $20,000 that you've saved for your down payment could buy yourself a car to get to your job or pay for half a semester of school, pay for, for schooling kid. for your kids. Yeah. Um, so half like the economic, semester. yeah, the economic sort of distress of the lower middle class is also going to get worse <laughs> as part of this. Um, and it's very disheartening. It is. It is. So as individuals, the best thing that we can do is, I think, stay on top of our money. Yeah. And and pay as close attention to our money as Warren Buffett does to his. Yeah. Well, and I think the other thing is that is really, it, it is going to require individuals to bug the living daylights out of their elected representatives to make changes to how we build in this country and in Vermont. Um, so I've been doing that. Yeah, tell actively. me tell me about that experience. <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to drop any names, but I have been t- speaking to some people in the House and the Senate about these things. And um, everybody agrees with me for the most part that Act 250 needs some severe revision. Yeah, how do they, do they say they just want to do another study about it then? No, luckily no. Uh, these people... generally are younger, Mm. um, by which I mean like under 45. That's younger in elected representation. (laughs) They're not 90, so. Um, uh, And most of them either own a home or um, are trying to own a home. Yeah. Uh, So there's not that disparity of like I've got mine and to hell with everybody else. Right. Um, But a lot of people agree with me that we need to start building up. Yeah. Because that is not going to impact the environment. No. You're not going to have to tear down trees to build up because we've already got the foundations. Just add a few more stories. And sprawl, in ge- like the concept of sprawl it, in general, outwards, is very unenvironmentally friendly. So like yeah. this, I mentioned that we had done a poll of folks in Franklin County about like, mm-hmm. what do you want your communities to look like? And every, like, not everybody, but about 50% of respondents said like, we want to preserve our green space and the culture of Vermont. Okay, well, to do that, go up. Your options are keep people out, 
which keeps your taxes extremely high, yeah. um, or go up because and, when and you go up, in, you're not digging in, digging new infrastructure and yeah. like it, it, I just don't understand how people can't make that connection. Maybe it's cause I it's, have been looking at it for years at this point, but like it yeah. really blows my mind that people can't. I, I, the argument that drives me crazy is when we talk specifically about Burlington and I'm like, we need to build taller buildings. People are like, but the views for the lake. And I'm like, yeah, imagine the views from the lake from a 15 from, story building. Yeah. Get yourself a penthouse <laughs> at the top of this, the, the building and you'll be able to see all those beautiful yeah. natural scenery. It's really the people um, that have like in the hill section that have mm-hmm. a view of the lake from their house. They're worried that if downtown becomes too developed, it'll block their views. I feel for them. I really do. I feel for them too. However, I feel more for people who are living on the streets and that have no there it is. opportunity to have shelter. I there feel more is. for those people yep. and we need space for them to be and to dwell in. Can we talk about um, Vermont has recently had, you know, over the past three to five years, has had an influx in crime. Mm. Do we think that that's directly related to homelessness, perhaps? Are you saying that homeless people cause crime, Brian? I'm saying <laughs> I'm, that I'm desperate people you cause, hard cause yeah. crime. So we know sort of sociologically that there's a really strong link to um, as poverty and wealth inequality increases, crime increases. Like yeah. there's a historical link, periods of time where poverty the poverty rates are higher in the in this country petty crime is also higher because people got to eat people got to eat like it's i mean i don't blame them i mean if i had um, no other options and my children are starving exactly if i had no other options I'm and i'm starving not even my children like yeah. i'm hungry what am i gonna do just like waste whatever? away waste and, away yeah no. um and I'm so i'm gonna find some rich guy and i'm gonna stab him and i'm gonna take his wallet so i can go <laughs> maybe not stab <laughs> yeah. him but i'm gonna find a way to feed myself exactly like, that's what right so we'll go get a job no, he's yeah. hiring, first right, of all. Right, right. So, Secondly, you're still going to be paid starvation wages. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. 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 So, again, it's, I mean, it's like a horrible, vicious cycle. But, yeah. I mean, I think specific to Burlington, you know, I'm new here, so I don't have a whole lot of the history. But, um, How long have you been here now? Uh, just over a year. Just over a year. Okay. Yeah. So, so, like, not so, long. So, let me get, paint you a picture. Yeah. Uh, when I was younger, I mean, you could just wander around Burlington no problem any time of day and not ever feel threatened Mm. whatsoever. And even since I got my license in 2015, that is not true anymore. Yeah. There are certain areas, City Hall Park. Yeah. You know, there's been murders in in Burlington. Murders, plural. Yeah. Over the past few years that and have been I, happening. I think like I, that has not been the story yeah. for most of my life. I think another, th- you know, when we're thinking about poverty and its relationship with crime, like it has been, um, it, it is not unique to us. And it, again, it's, I know we want to focus on Vermont because that's where we are and that's mm. where, you know, you can make the biggest impact where you are. But again, this is these issues are not just here. You don't know like they're it's, everywhere. Where I'm from, Winston Salem, we've had the same sort of progression. It where, you know, 30 years ago, you didn't want to be downtown because it was, you know. And then they gentrified it. And then and then they redeveloped it. And redeveloped it, okay. well, they they actually did redevelop it. Parts of it were certainly gentrified and displaced, but nobody was downtown. Like nobody was downtown because it was. Unless you were looking to do crimes. Exactly. Um, and now it's sort of like the panhandlers and all of that. It's it's getting worse again. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's because, I mean, I can't say it is because of this, but one of the contributing factors is like the overall sense of poverty. Um, right. So there, de- there definitely is a link. But I think the other layer of that is like we need, we do see that in places that have good social support networks for mental health and uh, for people who have drug addiction issues, we do see that that has an impact on the overall um, crime statistics because it's a safe space to come shoot up and do drugs <laughs> because somebody's going to shoot you with them. Um, what's the thing that keeps you from overdosing? Fentanyl? No. No. That's, That's what makes that you. kills you. Which, did you know they give fentanyl to w- women in labor? I did not know that. I mean, obviously not like street fentanyl. I was in the hospital 
giving birth to my son in a lot of pain. And my, they give you some cocaine. I mean, my, my nurse comes in and goes, Oh, like, how are you doing? This is my favorite memory. Did you snort it? <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm in a lot of pain. And she says, do you want me to do something about it? And I went, what are you going to do about it? Forgetting that I was like in a hospital. You and can't she, take away my pain. Yeah. Oh, actually. And she, actually, she's like, oh, I can give you some fentanyl. And I was like, Shut up. excuse me? <laughs> it's great. I totally understand why people do it. I'd 10 she, out of 10, do it again. A, was it a shot? Intravenous. Yeah. yeah, IV. Was that part of the epidural? Did you get an epidural? I did get an epidural. No, I got a voluntary induction, and this was part of that process. I see. Okay. So speaking of drugs, yes. um, I think that homelessness and drugs definitely have a correlation. Yes. And I think it's the desperation. Yeah. And the, I'm just going to stay homeless, kind of give up on my life. Nobody's going to hire me anyway. Right. So they turn... To drugs. Also, people start doing drugs when they're housed and then become homeless because, because. they spend all, all their money on drugs. Right. Um, so those two things are definitely correlated. And what I would like to see is um, like a homeless shelter that also has a drug program and has an education program all mm -hmm. in one so that we can not only get them off the streets, get them sober, but also get them an education or even like a tech program or something. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, is that that can't just be like a graduate and then you're done program, right? We know that addiction is a disease. Like we know that that I mean, is. I certainly know that. Like we know that that is yeah. a, a problem that will continue. Um, so again, it's about having those social supports and mm -hmm. deciding where is the line that we decide. Like w when do we decide this is a moral issue yeah. as a group as yeah. opposed to. Like, oh, well, capitalism has rolled the dice for you and you have rolled into this, yeah. this trajectory. Yeah. So, um, I mentioned the Airbnb law. In yeah, tell recently. me. I wanted to, to touch on that again. Uh, recently, the Airbnbs have been uh, contributing to the homeless factor and the housing mm -hmm. crisis because people, I mean, we live in a touristy state. It's, Burlington especially has like a lot of people coming and going. Moms and dads who are, want to uh, drop their kids off at school want to rent an Airbnb for the week so that they can hang out with them and make sure that, you know, their kids are settled into their dorms. And they don't certainly don't want to stay in a dorm with them. <laughs> but, I mean, we have hotels here, too. Mm -hmm. Like, let's not forget that we have plenty of hotels for everybody. This is not, or not maybe not everybody, since UVM, especially in the last decade, has increased its, its attendance mm -hmm. significantly. But... um. So what the city of Burlington did was say, okay, you can have an Airbnb, but you have to live on the property and you can only have one. Right. So like in-law suites. I actually have an ex-client who, uh, uh, or a past client, I should say, not an ex, because that's the breakup ex, thing that we were talking ex -client. about. Ex-client. Um, did you break up with them or did they break up with you? <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. Um, but he's got uh, uh, an auxiliary apartment at the back of his house. That he, that he Airbnbs. And so the city of Burlington said, that's fine. But what you can't do is have a ton of Airbnbs across the city mm. because that's detrimental to those that want to live here full time. Yeah. Um, and I totally agree with that. Yeah. I, At the it, same time, though, it's <laughs> detrimental also to the landlords because you can make 10 times what you. Right. And again, it's that question of like, OK, I am the property owner. I should be able to do whatever I want with my property. Unless you're However, in well, that's a whole other thing. However, again, we have to ask ourselves, like, do you have a social responsibility to help fix this issue? Um, and, and are you allowed to price gouge? Right. Too? Well, like, yeah. Like that's... What's, you know, should there be a cap on rent? I had a I had a pipe dream. I was one day I was like really um, worked up about all of this. Mm -hmm. It was shortly after it I went to me too. after shortly after I went and met with a lender about my own housing situation. And I was like, they should cap the price of a home at a certain amount of money. And my husband just started cracking up. He's like, that's never, ever going to work. Our whole economy is built on the idea of like, let those prices go, baby. Um, and I think we see the same thing when it comes to like regulating what people can do with their property. Um, in terms of Airbnb. And then I think there's also conflicting data and frankly, not a whole lot of data, right? Cause Airbnb is relatively new. Yeah. Um, so there's like conflicting reports. You can kind of twist the statistics about whether, 
that makes a big deal in terms of overall housing supply because some t- sometimes the properties that are being Airbnb'd are not realistic for daily life. Going back to the, like, you live in your car because you're, like, remote on a ski mountain. Um, but yeah, so some of those, like, really unique properties yes. aren't, aren't conducive for everyday living. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so, again, I think regulating Airbnb's carte blanche is hard because, again, they're they're diverse. It's a privately, it's, held, it's company a privately held company. Like, yeah. it's a diverse um sort of pool of so I think it's privately held. Last I knew you couldn't buy Airbnb stock. So not that I checked. Why would you want to? It's gonna no, I'm just saying. It's probably gonna not I think it's peaked at this point. Well, because the other aspects of an Airbnb from a consumer standpoint is like, why would I want to pay a cleaning fee when I can go to a hotel for a flat rate? Yeah, <laughs> you know, like exactly. why and yeah sure I have a like, kitchen but like okay. check in at eleven PM and check out at 9 a.m. and yeah. it's like, and you still have to pay a cleaning fee. All I did was go in and sleep. Right. Yeah. So. So like the 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 rules around them are really. Again, it's the property owner makes up the rules. Right. And so I mean that's that's and and you know based on the rules, some consumers don't want to participate. Right. But if there's a housing crunch in a certain area and you've got the only Airbnb and like you know UVM is coming into session, you can kind of bend the rules. Right. Or make up your own. Right. But that's that's capitalism, baby. That's capitalism, baby. <laughs> uh, one other thing that I wanted to touch on. I mentioned HOAs earlier. Mm. Uh, and since we're talking about um, income and wealth inequality when it comes to race, I wanted to mention that I've seen uh, these slogans around that say, defund the HOA. <laughs> you laugh. But no, it's... I'm laughing because that's great. <laughs> well, at first glance, it might be. But I want to dissect that a little bit. Sure. Because really... What it's coming from is defund the police, right? mm, okay? Which is a black rights issue mm-hmm. because they're getting murdered on mass exactly by the police, and um, they don't. Th- the argument is that uh, the police have too much, too many guns, too much power. They have tanks and stuff. We should defund them so that we can have safer black communities and people can walk down the street without feeling threatened by the cops. And then white people took it. And they made it about their property rights. Mm. Yeah, I guess I didn't think of it that way. Yeah. So it's kind of disgusting. Yeah. And it's kind of like, um, you know, every Karen and Kevin in the world wants to make everything about them. And it's this entitlement that the entitlement is real and exists for a reason. Because the Constitution (laughs) was designed for these people to feel entitlement. Yeah. It's a systemic thing. So, like, I just wanted to say that out loud for all the white yeah. people listening. Like, you're being insensitive when you say defund the HOA. Yeah. Um, or, or taking any kind of, like, you know, all lives matter kind of thing. Mm, don't get me started on that. Yeah. So, the, yeah, the I issue mean, again, I have I with think, that, obviously, think... is that all lives do matter. Yes, of course. But the black lives are the ones in crisis. Yeah. The best example that I have ever heard in explaining the issue of using that phrase. Um, No, it's about somebody's arm who's broken (laughs) where it's like, you can see somebody's like the bone sticking through somebody's arms matter. (laughs) And then like the person next to them is like, I have a scratch. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Well, um, I'm going to bring it back to, uh, the Bible actually. Oh God. Okay. I'm I'm doing it. Yeah. Oh God. Exactly. He's a great author. If you think about Uh, it. Okay. But, um, (laughs) there's a, no, there's a thing that says, um, Remove it's the a, plank from your own eye. Thank you. Yes. Oh, I'm, I'm a church girl. You're a church girl. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> so it's a, uh, it's a parable from Jesus. Um, I think it's in one of the gospels, and he says, um, "You're worried about the speck in your neighbor's eye mm-hmm. when you've got a plank in your own." And again, I think that brings it all back to like, at what point do we decide as a society that we have the social responsibility to care for other human beings, such that we change the regulations that are disenfranchising people of color? In housing, in food security, in every measure of social success. Like, at what point do we decide, yeah, that's enough. That's We should help them. Yeah, is the Civil Rights Act of 1969 enough? Certainly not. No, absolutely not. <laughs> Certainly not. Because there's still people that are suffering. Yeah. Um, we're running out of time. I know. I feel like we could do this all day. Um, but I just wanted to say, oh, boy, I had a thought, and now it escaped me. 
I just wanted to say um, that, oh, here it is. In a capitalist society, it's all about how much wealth can one person accumulate. And at a certain point, you know, I think we mentioned this in in part one of this series, this two-parter, I should say. Um, At a certain point, the oligarchy becomes so extreme that the haves and the have-nots can no longer coexist. Um, And that's when real change happens. Mm. And I think that we're approaching that point rapidly. Yeah. The fact that Elon Musk spent $44 billion on Twitter when $30 billion would solve world hunger. It's unconscionable. This is, I mean, to us it's unconscionable. Right. But we don't have billions of dollars at our disposal. And if we did, would it be unconscionable? Or does it take no Mm. conscience in order to accumulate that kind of wealth in the first place? Yes. There you go. (laughs) Did you see the, that um, there's been an antitrust lawsuit uh, filed against Amazon? Ooh, do tell. That's the extent of my knowledge of it. No, I listened to a little bit. I, I so just, we're talking about like a Teddy Roosevelt antitrust yeah, kind of so thing. So one of the federal courts said that they, you Trust know. busting. I love it. Let's go. Yeah. And Let's I, go. like if we've got the United Auto Workers striking, the uh, Writers Guild, the yeah. Screen Actors Guild, like. Let's There's going to be more go. strikes. There's Let's more go. Strikes. So really, I think a great way to protect, and, and this goes with housing as well. So let me back up two steps here. The minimum wage. Mm. So that, that came in as part of FDR's New Deal. In the 30s, yeah. In yep. the 30s, right, to get us out of the Depression, which was caused by rapid wealth inequality mm. or, or massive wealth inequality. But when he said that, when he set up the minimum wage, it was designed to be not only a livable wage, but a decent livable, a decent wage. livable wage to where you could have a nice holiday. You could take a vacation once or twice a you year. Could you could buy a home. buy a home. You could buy a car and you wouldn't be starving. Seven twenty-five is an insult. For sure. For sure. I mean, it has $15 a... is an insult. Yeah. Well, at this point. It needs to be like 30 Yeah. And but But the people that are really insulted by this, the people that get so offended by it, are the entitled CEOs that are like, no, I don't want to pay that. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I mean, I'm a CEO too. Sure. But we're in a different league. Oh, yeah. It's not. It's not. Yeah. It's not. A, we're not the Jeffrey Bezos <laughs> of Burlington over here. But God, I wish I was. No, those are those are the, the landlords that I've been talking about. Yeah. You know, that, that just tricky. monopolize housing. It's so tricky. I, I, it is. And like, what, there's a solution. But what is it? And how many people do we need to get involved in this? Everybody? Because that will be impossible. Right. I mean, it's it's unlike climate change, which is going to take the corporate overlords deciding that they're done. I do. I think that a certain amount of individual pressure from Vermonters will make a difference here. Um, you know, I, a thing that I always try to remind people is that your elected officials work for you. Yeah. Their job is not to represent the party. Their job is not to represent their personal moral compass. Their job is to make decisions that benefit their constituents Mm -hmm. based on what their constituents are asking for. So if all of someone's constituents are saying, hey, we need need to you need to revise Act 250 so we can build more. You need to build a down payment assistance program that is easily accessible to people of color. You need to um, waive closing, like waive certain closing costs for people of color and other people who have been traditionally disenfranchised from the housing market. You need like, to keep investors out of the market for at least 30 days for every listing that comes on, which is a thing. Yeah. That's a federal program. Yeah. I think I may have mentioned it at some point here, but um, when there's a foreclosure, it's called the, the first look incentive. Yeah. Where people, it's a 30-day Gap where the general population gets to look at the place first, and then flippers and investors and right. landlords get to look at it after that. And I really like that idea. Yeah, actually, I, I like that idea too. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. No. Like, cool your jets, investors. You got 30 days. You're you're not gonna yeah. be poor in the next 30 days. Yeah, you're gonna be fine. <laughs> However, somebody that needs housing will, you know, when it's so when the market is so cutthroat like it is right yeah. now. People are remaining homeless. Yeah. So, again, or like... In, or in bad situations I where they're think, paying astronomical rents. Or, or they're living with... In a slum. In, in, yeah. Um, their kids are eating 
paint chips off the windowsills and stuff. I did catch Teddy eating a paint chip in my house. Oh, that's what you get it for living certainly, in a house. It was certainly lead paint. It was certainly lead paint, yeah. Well, those are the yummy ones. Paint. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, I think it's time to wrap up, and I just wanted to end with um, – uh, we usually ask three questions, mm-hmm. right? You've mm-hmm. answered those three questions oh, yeah. in the past. Do you have three more? No, I don't. I do have one that I wanted to put to you. Usually it's what's one thing that can make your day instantly better? Mm. How can today be better for you? I can take a nap. You can take a nap? I can take a nap. Just, just and a nap. I, my next my next meeting is um, at a brewery, and I'm going to have a crispy, delicious beer. There you go. There you go. On the clock, nice. no less, huh? Yeah. I guess Don't tell my boss. Yeah. <laughs> I'm your <Yeah>. boss. Oh, <laughs> uh, yummy. Well, yep. have fun. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's a pleasure. As always, the indelible Troy Bach. The Dwellness Podcast is produced by Steinmetz and recorded at Dialed Studio at Hula. Our audio and video production is handled by Syntax and Motion. Our audio engineers are Wesley Davis and Will Davis. Our show producer is Will Davis. Intro music is by Sam Barsh and outro by Ian Koloski. Artwork and promotions by Snicket's Public Relations. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Steinmetz-BT. Or you can sign up for our newsletter and get insights into our lives at our website, Steinmetz-BT.com. Thanks for listening. listening.